Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. We had some good guests this week. We did. We had some amazing testimony from Stephen Sousa. That was huge. Uh, he didn't play in a band. Stephen Sousa. Sousa. Sorry, right, right fielder, say it right. So right fielder from the SSJ. Yep. Stephen Sousa Jr. from the Tampa Bay Rays. He's on the DL right now, but he's coming back. He's hoping a week from now uh, to come back and play. So he was yesterday. What a great testimony that was. A lot of fun talking to him. Yeah, just proof to people, especially, you know, last Friday we talked in the radio roundtable about the question where somebody said, you know, I've... I have been such a poor example for Christ in my workplace. Maybe I should just quit and get a different job. And he is a perfect example of somebody who did not make that choice, but said, you know what? I have, my life is turned around because of Christ and I'm going to be that example in this industry, in this, you know, field where God has given me talent and I'm going to be that example for Christ. And that's what he's doing in baseball. Quite a big challenge. On Wednesday, we had Jeff Ruby from Red Rock Leadership sharing his testimony. Again, another amazing testimony Mm -hmm. of a guy who thought he was a Christian and really realized he really wasn't a Christian and then made his commitment to Christ and has been just working on his relationship with the Lord ever since after a buddy of his just got his attention. And that was a great one. On Tuesday, we started our conversation on? Love and Respect. Introduce people that have not heard of that book, Um, to the concepts of love and respect that are found in Ephesians 5 and um, just started that conversation about what it really means in a marriage and in our relationships at work. And that's going to be a six-week series just focusing on, hey, what's the concept this whole love and respect is all about? Do you remember who was on the show on Monday? 
Roz. That's right, Roz Goodrich from Southeastern University right here in Lakeland. Great conversation from a professor of psychology in the in the MBA program at Southeastern. What that was a good conversation. The question I wanted to just I wanted to talk today, just as your post said, who is your neighbor? And as we talked on the car on the, the hour drive up here to the studio, I have no idea what prompted me to have this discussion today, but I thought we'd have a discussion about who's your neighbor. So in case you want to call in and talk about your neighbor and your ministry to your neighbors, we've got some fantastic neighbors in our neighborhood. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure what it was that prompted me, but I, I wanted to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and again, I can't remember what caused me to... I think it was the Holy Spirit. I guess it was. So (laughs) from Luke 10, 25 through 37, you know, I know what it was. I know what it was. We're somehow, I think the conversation last week jumped to, you know, what are the, what, how, what are the 10 commandments saying? What, what is Jesus said the most important commandment? And so this is what it is. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what did the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, this guy was pretty smart, by the way, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty good. That's He summed up the law and the prophets in one line. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? And he wasn't ready for this answer, was he? Jesus replied with a story as he was the expert storyteller. And Jesus' stories were always like multifaceted. Usually they had seven or eight layers of depth in them. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty much a surface kind of guy. So I'm not sure I understand all of it, although I've heard a lot of sermons on this. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped, off of, stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, remember, I've said this, I don't know, maybe not all 360 times we've had a show, but I, I say it all the time. Anytime Jesus had interaction with Jesus, anytime somebody had an interaction with Jesus, their lives were never the same. Because when Jesus had a conversation, Martha, with somebody, their lives were permanently changed. This guy, no different. This teacher of the law. What do you think? How do you think he walked away from this feeling from before to after the conversation? Well, I think kind of like what you were saying, how the so many things in when Jesus spoke in parable, especially there were so many different layers. And I'm sure he replayed this conversation over and over again in his mind, because like you said at the beginning, he was obviously a very smart man because he he was able to sum up, you know, the answer to the question about the law um, in just one sentence. But to be able to have had that conversation with Christ and to be told by Jesus himself, now go and do the same. You, 
better believe that he heeded that. Well, you know, it's the same as Jesus would often heal people and say, now go and your sins are forgiven and I've healed you. Now go and sin no more. Same kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. So the and, and we want to invite you, maybe you got a comment on this story, but we're trying to determine, you know, each one of us goes to work. Most of us go to work every day. Uh, almost all of us go home at night unless you work nights. And, and, and we're, we're surrounded by neighbors wherever we go, whether those are neighbors in your office or neighbors in your church or neighbors in your home or neighbors when you're on in the car. But we're surrounded by neighbors, the people that that we love and, and are supposed to minister to because we're supposed to be like the Samaritan guy in this story. So we got four people, four uh, uh, characters in the story. You got the priest, the Levite. The outcast Samaritan, businessman, businessman, and the injured guy. Those mm-hmm. are the, those are the four people. And what's important to note, okay, so the priest would be like a pastor or a priest today. The Levite would be like a deacon or an elder in a church. Uh, the outcast Samaritan, those would be like the, you know, everybody looks at him going, you don't belong here. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the Samaritans were half Samaritan or half Assyrian and half Jewish or half they were they were half Jewish and half something else because of the conquerors in the land that had been in Israel prior to this period of time. And so they were looked on as half as good as anybody else. Right. It's kind of like the the other end of town or the, you know, from wherever you are, it's the, you know, maybe the the polar opposite of whatever um, climate you're living within. Right. And so this. Samaritan, he did what we're all supposed to be doing, but it was the least, it was least expected of him because everybody looked at him as kind of a pariah in the, in the neighborhood. So what are they supposed to be doing? Let's just look at what they're supposed to be doing because again, we're supposed to be this kind of, we're supposed to be like the Samaritan guy. We're supposed to be like that person in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our churches. That's who we're supposed to be. So again, we're, it's I work for him Radio Roundtable on Friday. Today we're just talking about who's your neighbor, who's your neighbor, and how should you be, how should you be treating your neighbor? Are you like the Good Samaritan, you know, which we had to pass Good Samaritan laws in almost all fifty states of the United States because people would do nice things for people and then they get sued. Mm-hmm. It's and it's also like you know somebody breaks in your house and they fall on a knife, they sue you. I mean, come on. So we, yeah, sorry, sorry, I'll step it's back. Okay, step I'll, I'll, I'll step back, step away. From the soapbox. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at what we're supposed to be doing. You know, what's what's a priest? A priest is, well, you give me your perspective. On the priest in the story, what are they supposed to be? Well, I think for most of us, we have a stereotype that the priest always does what's right, always, um, you know, seeking to ask God what their direction should be, what they, how they should act, and being that example for everyone else. And obviously, that's not what happened in this story. So it it that one is a you know it's a real opposite of what you would expect. Very rarely do you meet a pastor or a priest that is holier than thou that that acts like this uh, in a in a series. But you know it is it's often you don't get to see them actually be real in a situation where you get to see them struggle with real life. Uh, but this is you know this is the attitude we're not supposed to have. Go ahead. But remember, I think we, her pastor is so good about bringing out things about um, parables, especially that we don't necessarily know all the back history on without doing a bunch of um, study ourselves. In and the it, Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, yeah, all, all of that, that stuff. But one of the things that I remember at one time somebody pulling out of this is that if they were to have helped this injured person, 
then they would have had to go and get cleansed again before they could go to the temple. So it was a real inconvenience um, for them to take the not just the time to help somebody, but also the, it was like a spiritual inconvenience because then they were defiled if they were helping somebody who was bloody and, and things like that. I think even if they were not dead, but he was left for dead, so maybe they thought he was. So if they were to interact with a dead body, then they couldn't go and worship. So they... You know, there's there's a real problem there with the, the choice that's being made in our minds when we look at it and say, you're not going to go help them, but you're going to go worship God. You know, but, um, but there's a part of the culture that we didn't understand, and that's the whole clean, clean, cleanliness to go into the temple. Well, but it's, you know, I, okay, fine. It's inconvenient to help people most of the time. Oh, I yeah. Mean, but will, that's what, yeah, that's where, I, I mean, obviously it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be, life is messy. We talk about that a lot, that, right. you know, helping other people is messy. So, but he was choosing to not be inconvenienced and to not be disrupted from his plan, the priest. Well, and, and the Levite did pretty similar actions. Yes. And we don't know if it's mm-hmm. for the same reasons. The Levites were the servants of the temple, so they did mm-hmm. everything but do the sacrifices. They did all the prep work. They did all the cleanup work, but they didn't actually do the sacrifices. The, but, you know, the, the Samaritan guy was a business person. And I guess that's probably where I want to go with this, too, is he was a business guy. He was going from Jer- Jerusalem down to Jericho or Jericho down to Jerusalem. What did I say? He was going from the road from Jerusalem down to Jer- Jericho, which was known to be a fairly treacherous journey mm-hmm. where bandits were along there. So that Samaritan, he was a business guy, but he saw a need and he stopped in order to meet that need. All right. So we're talking about neighbors. Talking about neighbors today. And uh, who's your neighbor? We read the story of the Good Samaritan, and we're talking about the different players in this story, but it's important to note that the Samaritan was a business person. and uh, You like that, don't you? I do like that because he did the right thing. He stopped what he was doing. And this is where we get, we get so guilty in our office, really in our neighborhoods and our office. We're so stinking busy when we see a need, we don't have time. To meet that need, and uh, and that's a tough one, because we should have time for our our neighbors, our friends. The um, uh, you know, like for instance, we were coming across the the bridge today. There's a couple of people whose car had broken down in the left lane, and they had somehow gotten across the Howard Franklin to the right side shoulder, and we're walking backwards. I don't know what that deal was, but boy, it would have been nice to have a few extra minutes. Well, they to weren't pick them up. physically walking backwards. They were walking against traffic. They were walking back to the Pinellas. But they weren't walking behind them. They were moonwalking. They were doing the Michael Jackson back across the, the bridge. No, they weren't. Yes, but, yeah, But it would have been nice to be able to stop and pick them up. But first of all, it's freaky scary to stop along the Howard Franklin. But second of all, I, I you know, we're, we had to get here for the show. We did. We had to. But how often does it happen in your workplace where you're so busy trying to get something accomplished and you don't have time to just stop and say, hey, you don't look so good. No, no, really. You don't look so good. <laughs> that doesn't always come across well, but point well taken that you can tell when something is bothering somebody. That's what I mean, not your looks. Or maybe they look tired because they're not sleeping well or something. But I am tired. My wife got kind of at four o'clock this morning. <laughs> I me couldn't crazy. sleep. I couldn't sleep. Um, but, but the point is seeing somebody at work and knowing that their demeanor is different than normal. And do we take the time to say, hey, are you okay? Hey, can we talk over lunch? Hey, um, what's going on? And taking that time. You know, I was just thinking about this when you were reading it. And I know you want to talk about all the characters. I was just thinking two things about um, you, you were saying that he is who is our neighbor. And when you think about work, you often think about the people in the cubicle next to you or the people that 
Um, maybe do the security when you walk in the door at your work or whatever when you see them around you. But, you know, when you think about it, this guy didn't live anywhere near, you know, the Good Samaritan didn't live anywhere near the man that was um, beat up because he was walking from one place to another. And right. So they weren't really neighbors. But I don't he know was how being... far Jerusalem is from uh, Jericho. I didn't do that tracking, but I'm, I bet Jose might be but able to find out. But this isn't the guy but... in the house next door. No, he no. He was on the highway. This the was highway. a highway deal. So... He walked up on an accident and solved and helped this guy out. He did. And because he, then he had to leave. And, you know, like you read in the story, that he takes him. He and became he gets... the tow truck and towed this guy in his, his car. That's right. <laughs> to the local hotel, then paid the hotel bill and the nursing bill and the food bill. Yeah. And he said, I'll be back, you know, if there's more. But but the point I was just trying to think of is we always think it's the people that we're really close in proximity with. But this guy had to travel and he had to come back. So whatever even his dynamics were, this wasn't somebody he knew. This wasn't necessarily somebody that he was familiar with. So I just think that adds a whole nother dynamic to who your neighbor is. I agree. and and But I, the point is that really... We're supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us, we get so caught up in being busy. And that's why we just suggest that that you just just slow down a little bit. Smell the roses if you got them nearby or, you know, some other pollen-crazed plant in January or something <laughs> like that. But, but just stop. Notice your neighbors. I mean, most of us live inside our homes like they're cocoons. We need to get out. I try to, on Saturdays, we always leave a garage door open so people know we're home. And we're mm-hmm. out, out front washing a car or doing something so we can have conversations. Hey, we've got a caller, Gary from Tampa. Welcome to I Work For Him Radio Roundtable. Hi. What, what can I do for you today, Gary? Well, I kind of wanted to maybe, um, I guess, correct your perspective on the neighbor part. Okay, okay go ahead. Samaritans, you were correct. The Samaritans were essentially, and excuse the way I'm going to say it, but I want to say it's in a very correct rude way, half-breed. Right. They were half-Samaritans, half-Jewish. And the thing about it was they were despised and hated by Jews. And what really I think Jesus was pointing out was it's too easy to even say, I'm going to help the neighbors I like and the ones mm-hmm. who I'm familiar with. It is to go so far as to, hate the, to love the ones who hate you. Ah, very good point. And that is where I think the Good Samaritan story is really all about. It's not so much as you're going to be kind to your next-door neighbor who you see every day, and oops, they have a flat tire on the side of the road, and you're helping someone you know, like, and care about. It's helping somebody who despises you, who Mm -hmm. doesn't like you, Mm -hmm. who will totally take advantage of you if they had a chance. Well, and, and I like that because that goes along with the other verse of Scripture, of course, that Jesus said, hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and that's really what you're, you're taking it to that level. And I, and I love that, Gary. I exactly love exactly what I think the level is. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and, and, and really, there was a lot of animosity because if you remember the disciples, when they found Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, they were taken aback that he would even exactly. talk to a Samaritan and a woman. They're like, holy mackerel, what are you doing? That was a Jim Brangenberg interpretation. <laughs> All right. But so, you, but you know what you're pointing out is to flip it around the samaritans knowing that they're being treated so poorly would never go out of their way to help a jew but this one did this one showed more compassion over the animosity against them mm-hmm. so and that is the level of compassion that jesus wants us to have mm-hmm. not just 
help your friends, help your neighbors, and help everyone that you love. That's actually too easy. You're taking taking Christianity, your walk with Christ, to the next level. So, Gary, how have you been able to apply this concept in your workplace? (laughs) Okay. The best I can do is to still be very professional with the people who have actually worked very much against me. Mm. I'm the IT director for a company, and there's a lot of um, company politics that goes around. And sometimes they are very uh, rude in company politics. And you have to, in my opinion, and this is the only Christianity I could really show. I'm not going to brag about myself. Um, I still try to be extraordinarily professional. I don't use my power against anybody. I make sure that I do my job where everyone is treated fairly, no matter how much they may despise me. Yeah, but here's the cool part, though, as an IT guy, because I've got an IT background. I've spent many, many years supporting people on computers uh, as part of many of my different jobs as a business owner. You, when you're helping somebody on their computer, they're at one of those spots where they're frustrated. That you know, they usually the IT guys get dumped on because of something that's completely out of your control. Because you don't control computers, and computers are just parts that were made by somebody on an assembly line no, in some no, other no, foreign no. country. Much so. worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's when you find someone playing on the internet and you have to report them to the Mm. bot. Oh, yeah. Okay? The next day, you will discover that they have a lot of animosity against you. Yeah, because of the accountability, I imagine. And now, you must remain, and now, to answer your question, I, I have to keep a Christian mindset and remain professional rather than respond to the anger and the animosity they are showing towards me. So, mm-hmm. so when people get in your face about that, I mean, I mean, there's there's lots of different responses, and it's hard, especially when they're when they're picking on you and they're throwing darts at you at the same time. But you know, it it, it is. And if you can actually ever have the chance to go back and say, you know, you wouldn't be mad at me if you weren't doing something you weren't supposed to do. Why are you mad at me that you got in trouble for doing something you were supposed to do? If you could have a conversation like that in a nice way, I know that's, that's a tough one. When you when people are attacking you, Gary, though, do you find yourself I praying for them? I that, and it has been, unfortunately, unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you find yourself praying them for those people that are persecuting you? I have been praying for myself because I am really sick now um i i am literally at tampa general hospital mm. going to get a whole bunch of medication because i've literally have had five strokes in the past three months mm. and uh, basically a near-death experience um uh and it's really all because of anxiety and stress mm. uh, well so, let me pray so, for you really i gotta go to break gary let me pray for you really quick Hey, Father, I just uh, I just thank you for Gary calling in, for listening. I just pray that the doctors would have the wisdom that they need and that you'd put your healing hand on them. Lord, that you'd find him a job that he wouldn't have so much stress because we know that stress tears us up. Lord, just put your hand on Gary and guide his steps, especially within the hospital. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You know, and, and Martha, and I want to challenge. Thank Gary so much for calling in. And, and it is tough. As Gary just shared, hey, the anxiety on his job, it's killing him, literally killing him. And that is true. You know, we need to be careful with our jobs. It is very easy to get caught up in the anxiety of our jobs and internalize all that. And, and, you know, I don't know a lot about Gary's situation, but I just know this. When I've had jobs that have caused my blood pressure to go up and I had a doctor look at me one day, he goes, Jim, you just need to quit your job. 
And I looked at him and go, okay. And I did. So, it, you know, sometimes, you know, the money doesn't mean everything. There's just no question about that. But Martha, as we were talking about the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, about who's your neighbor, who are you supposed to be being a Good Samaritan to, you had a comment. Well, I was talking about how um, so many times when we read parables, every time you read them, you're at a different point in your life. And you've either learned something new about your relationship with the Lord or you um, are just have had different experiences. And we often see something different in a parable that we didn't see the time before. And much like what resonated for Gary was the understanding that he was, that the Good Samaritan was helping someone that despised him. And that really resonated with him because of his situation at work. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture and about parables is that there's different layers and different things that can resonate with the person that's reading it where we can learn. Because maybe it's um, struggling with the fact that the priest walks right by and you see people in your life that never stop to help. That, you know, it's kind of like when you see the people that maybe they they look like they have a lot of possessions and a lot of money and they never seem to be helping anybody. That's our perspective on their financial help to other people. But we don't know what they're doing behind the scenes. We don't know, um, you know, what what's going on in their own lives. We have these conversations all the time where you, we'll see somebody and it'll I look. Tend, what she's getting ready to say. <laughs> I tend to be judgmental and jump to conclusions, well, often to my fate. Often you see some, we see somebody and we don't know the backstory. And it appears that they're being very, um, you know, their their ego's getting in their way or something else is, is you know, giving us some negative um, feelings about that situation. And, and I often will say things like, well, we don't know what's going on in their lives. We see what it looks like, but we don't know the backstory. And, um, and, and we really have to take, give people the benefit of the doubt sometimes and say, you know what, they may have woken up and gotten a call from a doctor today that we don't know about or something like that. So, but my point was just that there's so many layers in the parable and, Everybody has a different angle that will really speak to them and and help us to learn. So parables are like onions. Onions have layers. Parables have layers. So parables are like ogres. Because ogres have layers. I don't think that's not from where I was. Shrek. I understand. <laughs> I understand where the line came from. I, that's where I was. Oh, oh I know. That's funny. where you were going. All right. So, but, but, but another point that, you know, when you look at the people that, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, Martha taught me a lesson 10 years ago. Hurting people, people that are hurting, they often hurt people. Mm-hmm. And and so there, there's a lot of animosity in our culture. And honestly, it's been stoked. The fire of animosity between colors of people has been stoked by people, certain unnamed short people that used to be fairly large and now they're smaller uh, and, and the fans of the flames of the cultural divide and the animosity between the cultures. I got to tell you, I love my black brothers and sisters. I love my South American brothers and sisters. I don't know. I can't remember if it's supposed to be Hispanic or Latino. I, you know, I don't care. I don't care where you're from. I even like the people from Canada. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, all of our neighbors from color. Canada. I love what Ben Carson had to say. When, when somebody said, well, what do you think about the race thing? He goes, you know, I operate on people's brains. They all look the same to me. Exactly. Mm, amen. about the color. But there's, so we've got this fake animosity between us because you know what? I don't, I, I don't, I just don't, I'm not going to judge you because you're a different color. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be judged because I'm a different color. 
And that's what, I mean, really, when you look at the Samaritan and the Jew, they would have been different colors because the Assyrians would have been a different race that would have gone and bred with a, uh, a Jew. I mean, it just, just stop the stupidness. We got to, especially people listening to this show are not the people that are marching in the streets and burning cop cars and bashing in windows. You and I, Christ followers in America, we need to set the, set the standards for race relations. Mm-hmm. We need to set the standards of loving our neighbors regardless of what color they are. Uh, okay, so let me just bring that to um, We watched the movie Do You Believe a couple of weeks ago out yes, on DVD. And um, fabulous movie. For anybody who has not seen it, you can rent it. You can go get it at your local Christian bookstore. We cried. Um, I cried at the end of that movie. You did. But there's a scene in there where, I, and I won't give any of the story away, so you still all see it, but somebody helps somebody that had hurt that person. And she says, why? Why did you help me? And it was just that aha moment that he did it in spite of what she had done. And that's exactly what Gary is saying in this situation is, is that the Good Samaritan helps the injured person in spite of the animosity between their races. And um, that's what God is calling us to do in this parable, to love unconditionally those people around us. And his example of work and people that get mad at you because of things that happen at work is a great one because you still have to work together. You are being paid to do your job outside of the drama and uh, that can be really difficult to do and you have to sometimes swallow pretty pretty big lumps in your throat in order to do that all right let's also speak specifically to those people picking on gary because i have been involved in the it world since computers had 14k okay i started programming computers in 1979 before most of us ever had even heard of computers and let me just tell you this as an it guy it's not my fault It is not my fault if your computer breaks. I'm there to help you. I know you've got deadlines, but you know what? Take a deep breath and don't rain on my parade because your computer broke. Computers, computers are just a thing. They're like your car. Do you scream and yell at the mechanic when your car breaks down? No, you're gratefully fixes it. Why don't we do that to our IT Mm. people? And it's usually not the computer that messes up. It's the programs on the computer that mess up. And guess who wrote the programs? People. People. Guess what? People make mistakes. Stop picking <laughs> on your IT guy. Be grateful. I, I, I've seen some incredible IT support people get stomped on, just like Gary just talked about. And, and they've got incredible pressure. They always work harder than almost anybody else in the company because they're expected to work before work, do conversions after work, work night and day if the server goes down the middle of the night. You know what? I, I've, never, I've never met a healthy IT guy. Not once. Because they Cause eat run terrible. <laughs> they drink Mountain Dew and eat donuts. Because I know, because I eat Mountain Dew, drink Mountain Dew and eat donuts. Uh, but seriously. And they're, and they're at everybody else's beck and call. They really can't plan their day even because if a catastrophe happens, everything changes for the day. Well, it's the same thing if, if you go into the hospital and you, you pick on the nurse because you're unhappy that you're in the hospital or, or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Just be nice. And if you're and I'm talking to Christ followers. Of course we should be nice. We should have we should be the best and brightest examples of people. Everything mm. about us should be the shining example of I love you. Thank you so much for towing my car. 
I, I, it's given me an opportunity to have a conversation with you. Remember that conversation we had with that guy when we broke down? I was exactly just, just thinking that. The we tow truck driver. 90-mile drive with that guy. I wish I remember his name. But 90-mile drive where we mm-hmm. got to talk about Christ with that guy. He mm-hmm. was stuck in the cab with us. <laughs> he was like, oh, boy, this was, why did I get called for this one? <laughs> but as we talk about the Good Samaritan, hey, we want to invite you to call in. If you've got a testimony of how God's working in your workplace, call in. Share with us. We lo- Share with Tampa Bay. Share with the world how God's working in your workplace, 877 877- Nine four three ninety six seventy three. You know, I know I got a little soapboxy there, but I got to tell you, as Christ followers, we got to set the standard. Yeah, you're gonna make a mistake, so you just say, "I'm sorry, please forgive me." I'm gonna really try not to do that again. I had to do that today in a meeting when somebody said that I had uh, that I kind of stomped on. What I came across abrasive or something like. You know what? I don't want to be abrasive, and because when I'm abrasive, that doesn't really make people see Jesus in me. Jesus was blunt, two by four blunt, but he wasn't abrasive. He loved everybody. Mm-hmm. Martha wants to say something. No. Oh, you look like you <laughs> your face you want to say something. Well, I have lots I want to say, but I'm not going to, I wasn't waiting for a response on that. All right. So why did the Samaritan do what he did? Why do you think the Samaritan did what he did? Hmm. I, I think he had a very, very good heart. I think that um, wherever he was in his life was in a place of service. And he served that person. He also had one other very key word going for him. Margin. Mm. He had margin. He had the ability to do the things. He had the ability to do the things he was called to do, and he did them. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you don't have margin. I, I, I was talking with a guy earlier this week that uh, he and his family, they're involved in activities four nights a stinking week. That's no margin. There's no margin there. Kids are in school four nights a week for activities. You're nuts. You know, we, that's no margin. How do you ever respond to a, to trauma if you have that? How do you ever just get normal conversations because you're always running all the time? We've got to live with more margin. And Martha and I have talked about in the past. Probably good another subject for us to bring back again. Yeah, because you think about it like you were just saying, you know, um, being able to st- – obviously, we had a time frame. We had to get here to the radio because it's going to start whether we were here or not. So Jose we loves to do radio. We couldn't stop and help that person, and we couldn't get to him anyway because they were – like we'd already driven past on the highway. So, but the point was, is being able to say, you know what, right now I can take the time to help that person and, um, and not be so caught up in ourselves. You know, I, I uh, it is this story of the Good Samaritan, like you said, is multifaceted, but Hey, hey Jose, you got any comments for us? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have his headphones on. All right. Sorry about that. So no when, when, when you only, look at that, the, why do I'm you think just sitting here, just uh, marveling at is that more than anything else, the unbelieving world is looking at us. We are being evaluated at our every step. And so our behavior um, should reflect what we would want people to see as far as a Christ follower follower is. Mm. I love that. And one of the other things the Samaritan guy understood is that he actually understood the meaning of the scriptures. You know, the, the Jewish people, they had it all memorized. It's like Paul the Apostle. He was like, I was the greatest Pharisee. I, I was the up and coming. I studied under Gamaliel. But he didn't understand God's heart. The Samaritan guy understands God's heart. And that's a lot of times what ends up standing out. Like Jose was saying, with the, the unbelieving world, when they're looking at you and they see something different, they say, why? Why Why were you so nice to that person? In why fact, did- that is my testimony, Martha, because I, I didn't know. And so I saw the behavior, how different it was in my friends in high school. Mm. And so I, I, I said, well, what is it that's different about this person? Obviously, there's something different. And then they welcomed me into their home 
and I was embraced by this family. And so that started the seeds to the journey of becoming a Christian in 1985. I accepted Christ in 85. And so I, it worked on me. So it can mm-hmm. work because of what I witnessed in other people's behavior. Well, and that's really what we're challenging out there from the I Work Room. Because this isn't something that, we're, that we, work, we work on this and struggle with this each and every day just like you do. We want to be the best and brightest example of, of, in everything that we do. So we've got that opportunity for people to go, Why? What's different about you? You know, why are you so excellent at what you do? Why do you care about me when you're so busy? Why do you, how do you even have time to help me? I'm like, you know what? Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. You know, we've been talking about today about who's your neighbor. And I just wanted, you wanted to say something quick. Well, I just wanted to encourage everybody um, to go look at our Facebook page and watch the video we did to invite people on our marriage cruise this next February. So if you want to see what we look like and (laughs) put our voices with our face at the same time, that'd be a great thing to do. And we'd love to have you come along. Mm -hmm. You and your spouse, we'd love to have you join us on the I Work For Him Cruise Your Way to a Better Marriage Retreat. 2016, February 18th to the 22nd. All right, what did you learn about how it is to be a neighbor in your own workplace? To those you'd like or those maybe you don't like, that's how we're going to take the city for Jesus Christ. we got to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we learned today that our faith really can impact our culture. By loving our neighbors as ourselves, as in the story of the Good Samaritan, we're called to love those, the enemies. We're called to to love those who persecute us, and that was the case of the Good Samaritan. The Jews persecuted the Samaritans, and that that Good Samaritan had margin in his life, and he ministered to the needs, both spiritual and physical needs, of the person who was injured alongside the road. That's what we're supposed to do. He didn't do it because he got reimbursed. He didn't do it because somebody told him to do it. He did it because he understood what the scriptures say, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we understand that, then you'll take the I Work For Am Nation Challenge and join that and start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. And that's why we've got that challenge out there. We need to make an impact on our city. You've been listening to I Work For Am with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I love... Huh, I own my own business, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.